I'm Silas Farley, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Hear the Dance. On this episode, we turn our attention to Balanchine's last masterpiece, Mozartiana. Balanchine choreographed the work to Tchaikovsky's Orchestral Suite No. 4, written in homage to Mozart, and the ballet premiered on the opening night gala of New York City Ballet's 1981 Tchaikovsky Festival. This music had long fascinated Balanchine. The 1981 Mozartiana was Balanchine's fourth choreographic iteration of the score, the first having been five decades before for a company called Les Ballet 1933. For this final Mozartiana, Balanchine devised a work of multifaceted brilliance. Reordering the movements in Tchaikovsky's score, Balanchine began the ballet with the preghiera, prayer, an orchestral setting of Mozart's Ave Verum Corpus, a Eucharistic hymn that speaks of the body and blood of Christ. Balanchine crafted this section as a sublime dance for Suzanne Farrell and four little girls from his School of American Ballet. Next came a sprightly gigue for Victor Castelli, though danced by Christopher D'Amboise at the first performance. Then came the sweeping menuet for a quartet of the tallest women of the corps de ballet. Finally, an extended theme and variation section that showcased the technical and expressive range of Farrell and a young Danish dancer newly arrived to City Ballet, Eve Anderson. And then a concluding dance for the entire cast set to the final musical variation. Balanchine choreographed Mozartiana just two years before he passed away, and the ballet can be seen as a summation of his life's work. His and Lincoln Kirstein's vision of an American company and school of complementary excellence that could be counted alongside the great ballet companies and schools of the past was realized in Mozartiana through the four girls from SAB and the adult dancers whom Balanchine had groomed. Here also was one of the last meetings between Balanchine and Tchaikovsky, with whom Balanchine shared a kind of mystical bond. Balanchine felt that Tchaikovsky guided him whenever he choreographed his music, and the synergy between Balanchine's movement and Tchaikovsky's music is remarkable in Mozartiana. Ruben Ter Aratunian designed Mozartiana's costumes, and the ballet had special scenery, a backdrop and wings fashioned from ranks of plastic cylinders designed for the Tchaikovsky Festival by architects Philip Johnson and John Verghee. This episode will shed light on many aspects of Mozartiana from the perspective of two of its original cast members, Jerry Coomery and Amy Fixler-Koberger. Amy was one of the four little girls, and she later went on to dance with the Royal Danish Ballet. Jerry was one of the four statuesque minuet ladies, and she now serves as artistic associate at Richmond Ballet and as a repetitor for the Balanchine Trust. On a personal note, this interview was a wonderful reunion for me, as Jerry had been one of my teachers during my early dance training at Charlotte Ballet. My conversation with Jerry and Amy was rich. We discussed their journeys into Balanchine's world, the creation of Mozartiana, the energy backstage during the Tchaikovsky Festival, including costume fittings with Kermit Love of Muppets fame, who helped prepare winged angelic costumes for the festival's closing work, the somber Adagio Lamentoso from Tchaikovsky's Pathetique Symphony. And we spoke about a book entitled Balanchine's Mozartiana, The Making of a Masterpiece, by former City Ballet dancer Robert Majorano. 
and how Majorano poignantly illuminated Mozartiana with words. Let's listen in. Jerry Kumari, Amy Fixler-Koberger, welcome to the Hear the Dance podcast. It is such a delight to visit with the two of you. It is a pleasure to be here with you, Silas, to see you after all these years and you, Amy, after what is it? 41 years that we were on the stage together with Mozartiana. It is most exciting and I have goosebumps. This is just an incredible gathering. So thank you, Silas. Me too. <laughs> thank you, Silas. That's, it's amazing to be here. Thank you. Well, it's a really, really special, special conversation. And as I was thinking about it in, in preparation for talking with the two of you, I was thinking about how Balanchine had such a love for the corps de ballet and he had such love for the children and his love for the corps and his love for the students is in the choreography of all of these wonderful ballets, but it's brought to its distillation and summation and crystallization in Mozartiana with Jerry as one of the original four ladies in the minuet and Amy as one of the original four little girls in the opening prayer and in the finale. So it's, it's surreal and delightful to get to talk with the two of you about this ballet. Jerry, I wanted to start with you. How did you enter Balanchine's world? Now, this is an incredible thread and I'm going to go with a short story really fast. Um, the thread of my journey with Balanchine now is 50 years. It started with Lynn Swan and my mom. Lynn Swan, football player, taking ballet to improve his game, to get strong and all this. And in Tulsa, where we lived, my mom was a PE teacher. And all PE teachers had to take ballet for six weeks. All these phys ed teachers. So my grandfather asked my mom, what should she give them for a Christmas present and she said give them ballet so she put all four girls in it Janet Jerry Jack and Joe we went to the school where it was Roman Jasinski and Mosselin Larkin I was in ninth grade 14 five seven already they threw me because they couldn't put me in a beginner class they put me in an advanced intermediate and said follow just get in there and follow so I started following, which I was really, really fast because you're tall and you didn't want to be left behind. A year later, they put me in a station wagon with a few other people and took us to Oklahoma City for a special class. That's all they said, a special class. So I took this ballet class with this French woman named Violette Verdi. I think I did pretty good after a year of training. I had just gotten on point a little bit. I was all over the place. but So I went back home to Tulsa and a month later I get this letter in the mail from this place in New York called School of American Ballet and asked me to full scholarship to go to SAB. That is the first time Roman Jasinski and Masa Larkin told me that you went to an audition for School of American Ballet, who George Balanchine was and that they danced with them in Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. I didn't think ballet existed outside of Tulsa. I had no idea. So I went when I was 15 to New York, three summer courses and then a winter course and then I got in the company. So that's how that thread started by Lynn Swan and my mom as a PE teacher. And so that was, that's how I began the thread and it keeps going and it's so wild. That is incredible, Jerry. That is incredible. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. And Amy, what was your first encounter with Balanchine and how did you come into his world? Um, so I auditioned for the school when I was nine. Um, Toomey, Madam Tumakovsky auditioned me, <laughs> which was terrifying if anyone knew Toomey, who I absolutely grew, like I, my very favorite, like love, love, loved her so much. Um, and so I actually, so I, I started in, in New Jersey School of Ballet. I went to see my friend Maria Rojak in the Nutcracker at Lincoln Center. And I, I mean, I was just blown away. And I was like, I, I want to be in that so badly. And my mom was friends with her mom. And the following year I auditioned for SAB. And that winter I was in the Nutcracker the very next year. So that was my first experience meeting um, Balanchine was during dress rehearsals. And he would, you know, he would come up and he would fix us. You know, I was in, I was party scene. I was the one of the grandchildren and a Paula Chanel and a, and a mouse. So he, and he would come up and fix us and move us around. And he was so lovely and just so quiet spoken and soft and gentle. And oh, he was just amazing. And, um, you were just saying you had grown up in Tulsa with Muslin Larkin and Roman Jasinski, and they had never told you that they'd worked with Balanchine? No, because I started so late. It was just this, they didn't know, but there was just one year of beating it in me and catching it up. But you saw these beautiful photos all over the studio from Ballet Russe and these gorgeous pictures. But uh, no, they never did because they had their own school and they had their own little, um, well, not a professional company there, but a civic company. So, but no, never, never. Not till I got back and forgot that letter. Then they explained everything to me. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then my parents just put me on a flight at 15 and a half to New York. <laughs> but it's just, you, you know how we were trained. You do what you're told and you do it and you follow that path. It was, but yeah, it is. Wild. <laughs> and Jerry, what was your first encounter with Balanchine? Was it workshop or what was it? No, um, there was an opera that he pulled us out of. And I can tell you, I can't remember, but I know I was selected to go work on this opera and came back and had, that was the first time we ever worked together. And so, but with workshop, I did a lot of Jerry stuff that got me in the company Valentina worked with me at that opera and he did come to a Suki Shores class where we were doing all the solos with Divertimental number 15. And I was in Stephanie Salon's solo, which was my favorite because I still was only three years on point. I was weak. And Jerry, boy, we were learning dances at a gathering and I was Viola, oh, get this. I was doing Viola Verity solo because I loved Porta Bra. If my feet didn't work, Moslin Larkin taught us the most incredible port de bras and I was a port de bras woman. So I could get anywhere because of my upper body. So he came into the rehearsal right before we performed and he laid into me, he goes, this is, he goes, this is unacceptable. You have to be stronger than this. I can't believe this. I'm gonna go to Madame Gloveoff and I did it and he's in my face and they told me don't, you know, he's gonna probably do it but don't cry. She says, whatever you do, don't cry. So I looked at him and he goes, what is your name? And I said, my name is Jerry. And he goes, 
that's a good name. And he walked out. And I swear, a couple months later, between Balanchine watching me in Divertimental Solo and Jerry, I got in and I just, boy, <laughs> my name is, and I never liked my name. And I called my mom that night and told her, mom, I'm really sorry, but thank you for naming me Jerry. And Jerry and I were for years like this. Good name. I was like, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's how we started. <laughs> so we fast forward a little bit. It's 1981. It's the preparation for the Tchaikovsky Festival. And Balanchine decides to revisit this music that he's already choreographed before in 1933, 1935, and 1945. And Suzanne Farrell writes that it's like he, he wanted to revisit the music one last time. He still had some something to sort out with this music of Tchaikovsky paying homage to the music of Mozart and orchestrating these little known Mozart piano pieces and making them this glorious orchestral suite. And uh, starting with you, Jerry, how did you find out that you were going to get to be part of this ballet? Okay, here goes the thread again. Now we're going to bump back to 1980. So Balanchine comes to me one day and um, we are always chatting because of my background with, with the Jasinskis. So he says, Jerry, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to be the maid in Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme when he brought it back for Allegro. The year before he had done it for the opera with Patty McBride and Peter, well, and no, not Peter, but Norea. Then he brought it back for Peter and Allegro and he, Allegro, and he wanted me to be the servant, the maid. So I would take care of her and the entrances and everything. And he said, if you do this for me, Jerry, one day I will make a ballet for you. I said, Okay, I'd do it even if you didn't tell me you're going to make a ballet for me, but of course, I'll be the servant in Gentillon for you. Okay, so when they started the Tchaikovsky Festival, on the board was Minuet, and my name was there with Susie, Nina, and Vicky, and that was him making the ballet for me for the favor I did for him to do the servant in Le Bourgeois Gentillon <laughs> with Allegra Kent. I mean, I was like, okay. So that's how I got into Mozartian. But what's weird with this thread was Roman Jasinski, who Balanchine told me was his favorite classical dancer in Belarus, loved Roman Jasinski. Roman Jasinski was also in Le Bourgeois Gentillon. He was the acrobat, acrobat in the ballet in the original. So I was again, because I, I know how he liked me and I was talented, but it's interesting how that thread from Tolson, the PE teacher of my mom and Roman Jasinski in La Salaria, he danced in that ballet, the original. Then he's the original with Tamara Tumanova in Mozartiana. So I was like, this is insane. And so that's how I got into it. <laughs> Going back to the very beginning thread of 1972. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I know. Talk about a journey. It's amazing how there was that that link with Roman yeah. and your and your time. journey. He's original bourgeois gentilhomme. You're bourgeois gentilhomme. Decades later, he's original Mozartiana, nineteen thirty three. You're in the final iteration of the same ballet. You know, mm -hmm. fifty plus mm -hmm. 
50, almost 50 yeah. years later. It's so beautiful. Uh, Amy, you're at the School of American Ballet. What what level and how is it that you come to find out that you're going to be part of a new Balanchine Ballet after having done Nutcracker and maybe Midsummer? Yeah, I mean, we were in the lower concourse um, getting ready for, we were in between performances. I don't remember whether it was Nutcracker or Coppelia. It was something, I can't remember which ballet we were doing. And Rosemary Dunleavy comes downstairs. So Rosemary comes down into the, the, you know, the room. I don't know, Jeremy, remember the, the room by where all the vending machines were? All the way in the lower concourse. Oh, and way down in the dungeon by the canteen. Yes. Yes. So we were all down there, a bunch of bunch of us, and Rosemary walks in. She's she grabs a whole bunch of girls. She like is like, come with me, come with me. And I wasn't one of them. She just randomly was grabbing grabbing girls to come upstairs. And I'm normally on the shyer side. And I don't know what possessed me, but I was. I don't know what possessed me. It was the weirdest thing ever. And I was like, I, I want to go see what's going on. And so I followed them and I said, can I come too? Because I didn't know, maybe they were going to do something fun on stage. Like, I don't remember. And I was like, I, I want to go too. And she's like, yes, come on. And we all piled. I mean, we were piled in the elevator. We go up to stage, go on to go backstage. And there's Mr. B. And he's looking all of us over. And meanwhile, we're like, what is going on? We had no idea what was going on. And he looks everyone over, starts and picks out of all of us, the four of us that wound up doing it. And he lined us all up the way he wanted us. And, oh and that, that was it. It was, it, and then David Richardson told us, you're gonna be in a new ballet. It's called Mozartiana and that's how it happened. <laughs> Had I not followed everyone to the elevator, I wouldn't have been in it. Unbelievable. Did he start with Ave Verum? We were all together mm -hmm. with you guys. We were, we were with all of the adults for all of the rehearsals. So we were learning as the adults were learning it was oh insane. It was amazing. God. That moment, the back to the universe again. Yes. Can I come too? Yeah. You know? Oh my God. Yeah, that pull. That's yep. incredible. And, it, and that it's so unlike me to do that. I'm not like that. It's mm -hmm. something like it was like I was possessed, I swear. It was crazy. God, I love that. <laughs> What did it feel like to be a tall woman in Balanchine's company? I, well, he called us his Amazons. So I loved being one of his tall Amazons. But it was Linda Homack and Nina Fedorova were the tallest. And then it started coming us. Yeah, I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. Because, I mean, the roles were unbelievable because we were tall and there, weren't, there was a lot of men. But there wasn't that many men that could lift us especially we're on point and the, so those fabulous roles of Ruby solo pinup girl and second theme and episodes, five pieces, no, all of it. And on your list was um, McDonald of Sleep. That was, that was one of the highlights. That was power. Those, was it eight of us or nine of us? 
and those drums yeah. and yeah. it was just no it was exhilarating it was just even even i grew up through 4t starting with melancholic the four ladies the botman ladies then i went into phlegmatic and then i ended up in second theme so i graduated and grew with that ballet it was just the experience you know it was just and he always said he well they were the shorter or medium you gotta be careful um we couldn't do square dance you know with those long langley legs to move that fast but he loved the length of everything because there was more to see he would always say, say but you just had to coordinate it and bend more <laughs> there's a lot more to a bend with a tall long thing you know so it, it has its great places but challenges <laughs> too and what did it feel like to go into the rehearsal room for this minuet with three of the other tall ladies, Nina Fedorova, Victoria Hall, Susan Friedman, and mm -hmm. Misty B? Yeah, it, it was fun because we were all friends. You know, I mean, not that there were cliques in the company, but there were generational and small pods, and those were all our best friends. So it was wonderful to dance together. Because so the energy and the connective, we understood the chemistry of each other. And with Valentine, what was amazing with that, and we did that in the practice room. They thought we weren't down in the dungeon in that canteen, but the practice room was a tiny one. And with, with Gordon and Rosemary and Garyelle, it was tight, but you had to move. And it was over two days, two hours, so a total of four hours. He created that whole thing. And Bobby... In his book, capturing it, he was absolutely right. It was done in four measures. It just keep came coming out. And you do a phrase, and then you do another phrase. You never went back to review, ever. You know, so you would get a five, and then he would go on. So he at one point, he said, let's just go from the top the second day, so the end of the fourth hour total, and we did it. It was because it was genius. It was brilliant. It made sense. It was musical. It just flowed. And what, you know, the, the very famous quote from Martha Graham, that the light going, he was like a prism and the light go, the light and the music, he would, I wrote it down. It's just unbelievable. But it's true. It just flowed out of him. And I know he, that was the fourth version that he did. So he knew this, it was in him. All music that he did was part of him. But also that I read that, also why he wanted to redo it again. It was the first piece of Tchaikovsky's music he ever used for a full, complete ballet. So he went back to his beginning experience with Tchaikovsky. But Martha Graham wrote, and I don't want to mess this up, so I'm going to read it. About talking about Balanchine and how he choreographed. It's like watching light pass through a prism. The music passes through him and in the same natural yet marvelous way that a prism refracts light, he refracts music into dance. When Gordon was playing that music, he was just moving and we were following and following and capturing it. And then we just did it. After four hours, we just did it. You know, it was a brilliant, which is another miracle. <laughs>
Yeah, it is. It's a miracle of a ballet. That is so true. Yeah, because it was done in such a fast, short time. Unbelievable. It was not weeks. It was a matter. Maybe there were. I know we had four hours to create it. And Suzanne and Eve. What my God, how many pot of dozen openings and very theme and variation solos that took the most, but of course, because it's the biggest part. But it was, it just flowed. How is it with you, Amy? You know, because you, you guys work separately with Susanna on the opening prayer. Yes, we, I remember wow. doing that. It was fast learning. Mm -hmm. Definitely remember that and being like a wreck because it, you know, <laughs> it was, but we, we just did it and your tension was just there. And we did, we, Suzanne, that was like amazing. He did, I remember him change, like changing our arms several times. He mm -hmm. was either put it up or put it down or do it. Like he kept, and we, we, we interlocked and the whole, yeah, it, it was, and just creating that and, it, it was just amazing that it was so incredible. And then being in the other rehearsals with all of you, I mean, oh my God, that was for us as kids. Can you imagine? I mean, we worshiped you all, you know, it was just, it was like amazing to even be there. And then to have, you know, Mr. B teaching us four girls, all these steps and how to do it and learning our names. And he knew us by name, which was, you know, he didn't, you know, to, to have him know you as a kid by name is a really big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Even from a big kid. <laughs> yeah. But what's incredible, and it says it in Bobby's book, that he made history. What, what Lincoln and Balanchine, when they came in 33 to make a school, that was history, what happened with Mozartiana, because it was the first time that a student was not playing a child's role you guys were dancing as dancers with the company and that was the whole dream that Kirsten had to bring Balanchine over it was just phenomenal what was going on and that finale <laughs> that trouble step that was hard stuff yeah I know I remember learning that and just being like, oh my God, how am I ever going to do this? <laughs> but we did it. We were, yeah. I, and we, it was, that, that is my favorite thing that I think I've ever danced. Yeah. Is that finale. I love that so much. Oh, me too. It is so playful. And it was adorable yeah. for all, all six of you to hold hands. Well, all of us were, but I, I think in the back with Victor and, or Chris, and the four of us, we were pulling off, either off more than you guys with Suzanne and, and, and Eve. It was amazing to watch. You guys sometimes didn't make as many mistakes as we did in the back. You couldn't see us, but we could see you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, back to, my, back to me in the beginning follow. I followed you. <laughs> Incredible. Now that's funny. <laughs> There's that string. <laughs> oh my God. So, Jerry, when Mr. B was working on the minuet, was there any particular coaching he gave you all? Was it, did he give you visuals or ideas, or was it really just coaching you through the actual gestures? It was playful, courtly. He would do 
the music pretty much told you, all, you could hear the courtliness, the elegant. He was playful with it. Um, the biggest thing, he didn't have to, we had danced for him enough. We knew we had to travel and cover space. But still, the biggest thing that came out of his mouth was bend, dear, bend. And it is harder for a tall, long thing. It takes more time. So there were the like the PK arabesque down, down, PK arabesque down, down. All of that stuff. Once you jumped up and you came down, you had to bend. And it took a long time, but that was mostly. And yes, of course, there was always the things of clarity and presenting, but it was more of a reminder because we did it every day in class and stuff. Re-bend, but bend. If you didn't bend, if even the book, there was even Bobby captured, he was, he would get a little agitated because it's I can't see it. Bend. They can't, you know, you would say, I don't need a microscope to see. Bend. So that was pretty much the biggest. There were like three things that he would say. What are you saving for, dear? No, there's two. What are you what were you saving for, dear? And bend. Bend. That's what you heard all day long. All day long, which is great. And Jerry, what was what was that time like in the company? Because he was teaching a little bit at the very beginning of that season. He was making it. Could you just talk a little bit about that connection between the class and the choreography? Wow. Um, it was very interesting, even using Balo Della Regina as an example. When he was going to choreograph something, he taught more because he, he would try out the steps in class. And you always had to take class Whatever you did, when you walked, when he walked in, it wasn't a regular class. It was 16 grand pliés in second position, or it would be five different tempos of tondu. And when I was in the company, there was 113 people in there. You could do a tondu front, but you couldn't do a grand batman. Everything had to be croisé because we were so tight. So he just stayed with tondus. And then you go into center and you do something wild like a grand plié cease but you had to be warm you had to do your own class or go to pilates because it wasn't a traditional sometimes we do rondes on monlaire to the side and sometimes we do it in batman because there was no space but then with balo della regina all of meryl's steps were done in class step assemblée en point one two three he just had everybody do the choreography and he'd create it there and then it happened again with Mozartiana, just little flavory things. It was a, it was like a experiment class to find out what he was going to do because there was no time. There was an hour, so you had to do your own class, and then you'd get a taste of what he was working on, whether it be David's Blumlertanz, Balo, or Mozartiana. He was experimenting, and it was phenomenal, phenomenal. But you, just like in rehearsal, when you walked in class and he walked in, you had to be ready to go. It was just, mm. Jerry, what were some of those different flavors of movement he was experimenting with at the time of Mozartiana? It was interesting in, in um, courtly, 
But he also was, there were sailor steps and playful and bending and play, the coup de bras, how you bent your body over. And he, the experiment of the long legs and the body, how you're not straight in a croisier or an effacé, you bend it, you were always bending, or then the lunges were long and how to, but the articulation of the feet and how the the body just kept moving and bending. There was so much texture. It wasn't straight up and down. And, and then also the patterns, you would swirl around and duck under and then you would bow. But it was definitely all classical port of raw, but then he would play with the body. Funny coupes was, you know, it was playful. I think it's the best word, elegant, playful elegance with his tall, four tall Amazon women in these beautiful costumes. Jerry, the choreography for that minuet, I, it's just fascinating and the, the patterns. There's all kinds of tricky steps you don't see in other ballets. Pique, quasi, third air, best with the arms in fifth, and then crossing, coming out of it. Mm -hmm. And the seesaw's all going ways you wouldn't oh, expect. Oh, the famous seesaw step, that? yeah. I mean, shooting out everything in Tondu, and yeah, that was another big trouble step. Yeah, it, it, did. it was unpredictable, but it, it still flowed. It just had a, such an organic and beautiful connection and the, mu and the music it was just brilliant. So, Were there favorite steps for you and the other ladies in your minuet choreography? Okay, to be honest, yes, I loved them all. I absolutely loved them all. And I was again, like I said before, an incredible port woman. So to me, I just loved it. The only thing I loved everything except for, um, I had very wide hips and I still do. And I have very tiny feet. I am 5'8", I was 5'9 there. And my feet are seven, size seven. So to be in a fifth position with wide hips and to do a developé écarté, passé penché, it was very hard for me to stay on one leg. I was always falling over. So when he put that adagio in there, I started to sweat. And when I was in the school with Suki, they tried to work with me and she goes, I know you have a problem here. Your hips are too wide and wider than your little feet. But you know what, Jerry, you got to figure it out. And I was like, okay, got it, Suki. And she was right. You have to figure out your instrument. But when we got to that adagio, I was like, please, dear God, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> and Amy, what, what were your first rehearsals like working on the prayer? I just remember being, first of all, so in awe of Suzanne Farrell, of course. Um, and just watching the way that the two of them worked together was an incredible experience to watch the way that they worked and the way he would ask her to do certain things and just, and teaching, And I mean, he was teaching us the steps, mm -hmm. teaching us everything. 
there was no one else doing it. He was showing us four little girls the steps because nobody else had them. They were all up here in his head. <laughs> so, you know, David Richardson was in the back learning them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was, it, it was just amazing. And just his attention, the attention to the details, especially your arms and exactly where you're, where he wanted you to be placed around her, exactly how far apart, how every little detail, it was just, yeah, amazing. Amy were not easy and how you pass and go around and getting back in or around like how you embraced her it, they were that's not it was not simple at all mm. yeah and it's different like like Jerry was saying before it's different from any other choreography that he did for the children I can't think of any other children's roles where there's that kind of um, adagio work for the little ones, you know, there's 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 some slow. I mean, there's some little slow music passages like the uh, the other prayer in Coppelia. That's a yeah. moment for kids dancing slowly, but there's something different in the the maturity of the the patterning, like yeah. what Jerry's describing, the asymmetry and the. I just love to hear you more, talk more about that. For us, it wasn't a matter of, oh, this is like that these are adult steps. You just, that's what he did. And that's what we had to do. And at the time we weren't thinking that it was that difficult, I guess. But I mean, in hindsight now, you know, when I see it again, I'm like, how did I, how did we do that at that age? <laughs> you know? And I mean, also, especially like the finale, when I think about it now, as we talked about, like, they, it was hard, it was really hard. And I don't know, it's, yeah, I mean, we had good training at SAB and, you know, Toomey, Toomey had us ready with the, with our, with our glissades and with our jumps and with everything, you know, our quick feet and mm -hmm. yeah. So Amy, how old were you? I was, how old was I? I think I was either 10 or 10 or 11. That, that's incredible because when you break down the finale, just even the embotes when the four tall and going through how we were all passing yes. through, those were coffee, yeah, yes. and quick, yep, quick, quick music, yeah, like lightning. There was no wiggle room to for a mistake or you got taken down. Yeah. Oh my God. I just yeah, I, do, I remember doing the the amate. I remember being always so nervous we were gonna crash. I was gonna crash into somebody. I I, mm -hmm. I forgot about that. You just reminded yeah. me. I do yeah. remember being like, oh my god, I have. I hope I make it through. <laughs> yeah. 
And we were so much bigger. Well, we couldn't take you down either. These little babies were coming at us. We had, that's amazing to be that young and doing that. And that's back. I mean, that's the dream. It's amazing. You were dancers with the company. You were not children. It's just amazing. Yeah, it really was incredible. Wow. Balanchine had written about the dance element in Stravinsky's music back in the back in the 40s. And he talked about when he was working on Apollo, it was the first time he realized that he could uh, limit his choreographic choices to a vocabulary of movements that was specific to that ballet where all the steps are related to each other. And so to hear y'all all talking about the emboite and for the listener, that's these, it's almost like a kind of balletic jogging where the dancer kicks up the legs in front at slightly bent angles. And he builds like whole worlds out of the emboite, particularly in the finale of the ballet. And he has the male soloist do a version of it. And he has the four tall women doing a version of it. And then he has the little girls doing a different version of it. And it's all in counterpoint, but it's all the vocabulary that everybody's been schooled in. And I think about the curriculum at the School of American Ballet where the is developed by Balanchine and Tumkowski. And there's a there's an emboite step and you do a certain number of them and you jump assemble. And you think about, did that happen? And then Mr. B built ballets like Coppelia and Mozartiana for the kids or Nutcracker where there's all this emboite for the kids or is it the, the classroom being in response to what's required of the choreography? But there's that synergy and that commitment to the vocabulary and to exploring the possibilities of movements that are related to each other that's brought to its, like, like we were talking about before, like it's crystallization in Mozartiana. It's so choreographically brilliant and interconnected. What the little girls do, you saw the Eve and Suzanne do and vice versa. And you're all talking to each other with the same step. We're gonna use the word over and over, but it was brilliant. It does encapsulate him his whole life. Mm. What were your thoughts about the other sections? So Jerry, Mr. B's working with y'all on the minuet, but then you come into the complete rehearsal in the main hall and you see this theme and variations for Eben Suzanne. What were you all thinking? Well, I would sneak in to rehearsals to watch with Eve. I just, at, two of my, I love so many, but Eve and Suzanne were absolutely my most favorite artist. So I would sneak in and watch a lot of theme and variations being taught or learned and the, and the pot of the. Uh, I also came in one day to see Victor in that solo. We heard about it, how fast it was. And sometimes we would go, he would come in when we'd finish Minuet, he would come into the next practice room they were. But it was, it's, I also staged it twice for Richmond Ballet. So I've had the privilege to pass it on, but also the privilege to break down the ballet to understand it. And it is extraordinary. The rhythms, the choreography, the musicality of the, the jig itself, the jig, it's, 
jigs from all over the world that he would do in Russian and Polish and all this stuff and the speed and the clarity and what he was doing with Victor Castelli was phenomenal. breaks our hearts that he didn't make it he hurt oh god in that one rehearsal upstairs you know could you tell that story for the listeners about victor oh. and, and what ended up happening yeah when they loaded in the tubes for the crystal palace and i have a very funny story on that one too the crystal ice palace they were heavier and bigger than they thought that the crew and ronnie bates and everybody knew and kevin so all our stage rehearsals were canceled and we were put back into every canteen anywhere we could practice from the main hall to do all the ballets. So Ballinger, we went back into the main hall and we were finishing the Garland Waltz and Kermit Love was there with the great out in the hallway with the big wings for Patatik. And Ruben was there also with costumes. So everybody was pulling from him and, and they wanted him to check out his costumes, but Balanchine wanted to run Mozartiana. We had just finished it. So I go out to get a five and Kermit Love grabs me and puts me in the patatic wings that are 10 feet tall. And I was like, I have rehearsal in there for Mozartiana, but when Balanchine said, go grab somebody and he gave them to me, I thought it would take five minutes. Well, it didn't. These were huge wings. So you see in the book, the picture of me sitting up left on a box with the whole costume on and these wings. And I was so happy to help Kermit Love and Ruben, but I also wanted to be in two places at once. I wanted to be in Mozartiana. Balanchine was upset that he let them have me because his ballet wasn't complete. There was a hole. He, he was missing a part of his ballet. So it was both worlds. And when I walked in, it was so huge to duck into that the double doors and to go sit on the box. The rehearsal stopped. It had to. It was shocking to see this massive thing that Kermit did with the costumes. And they stopped it, but they stopped the ballet. And they, then they re-picked it up during Victor's solo. And that is when he twisted his ankle at that moment. So that's just, that part and that picture, I look at it, it has so many things of not being able to dance, but helping Kermit love and knowing that maybe he was distracted, but that's when it happened. And that was two days before we opened. That's how unbelievable the layers and we couldn't get on stage because of the tubes being hung and they had the tubes weighed a hundred tons and they didn't have enough weight to balance the tubes so it took two days to do the load in we didn't get on stage i don't think till the day of the show it was unbelievable it was unbelievable <laughs> It was. Jerry, do you remember the smell of the tube? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. It was horrendous. It was terrible, but terrible. terrible. But other things, Silas, when they turned on the air handlers, the big AC would move the tubes and they would hit each other. And one on, got unhooked and came upstage and hit the stage. 
only one. I mean, it wasn't secured and he dropped. And of course we all like flew, but it was, it was, it was unbelievable. The crew, that union was the best ever. Unbelievable. They slept at the theater. They didn't have breaks. They worked two days and they would sleep there and people would bring, it was incredible what those men did, men and women did to get that set done. It was phenomenal. And it was another miracle. I tell you, Tchaikovsky was helping Balanchine. It was a tribute to Mozart for Tchaikovsky, but oh my God, it was amazing. Silas, you couldn't imagine these tubes, they were like from top to, to floor, from the ceiling, not the ceiling, but the yeah. whole, the whole proscenium, <laughs> the whole proscenium, and then even higher. And they were about probably eight inches in diameter. Yeah. And a ton of them, like all, they, the whole sides of the stage, everything. It looked like a castle. It was like incredible. Yeah. It looked like you can't even imagine how, I don't know how they even got them up. It's incredible. And there were so many of them. Yeah. Cherry pickers, it was, uh, they had to bring in, it was just, yeah, they were phenomenal. The whole back wall and all the wings. So that was six wings, but this is a funny story. Um, oh, goodness gracious. It was before, way before, Balanchine um, loved this bakery up Upper West Side, Patsy Bars called Babka, a Russian uh, pastry shop on Upper West Side. So he, um, one day during our little chats, he said, would you do me a favor and please go up to Babka and get me a half a dozen cherry jelly donuts? I said, no problem. I have fine. You know, and I think he gave me $5 to take a taxi <laughs> to go get him back. So when I brought him back to his office, um, we sat down to talk a little bit and he had a cherry donut and on his piano was the first model of the Crystal Ice Palace on his piano. So I got to see the palace just a few days after he received it while he ate his cherry donuts. That is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. So, but that was brought up with the crew and Ronnie that everybody had had that model, but when those tubes arrived, they, it was more than they could ever comprehend that they had to run out to, I think, other theaters to get weights yep. to have a hundred tons to wait to hold those tubes up and going in and out of the wings you had to be so careful because if you just hit one then they all start going <laughs> i remember that i remember being like don't hit it <laughs> what are your memories from the costume fittings with ruben Tartunian? suzanne farrell writes about how the the costumes mr balanchine was very specific about the costumes for this ballet and I just wanted to, to for y'all to talk about the, the fittings and Mr. Mm -hmm. B's hair. Here, so I have to show you one. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, wow. Oh my God, that is a great photo. Could great? you describe this photo for the listeners, Amy? So that, that's right before, I guess, a dress rehearsal. And he, or we were trying them on to show it to him, the final whatever. These were these were Harlequinade from Harlequinade, and he I guess he wanted something adjusted on the arms or something. I remember, but yeah, that's that's he, he we had to get him his approval on the costume to make sure that it was to his specification. 
She's right. And everything on the shoulders had to sit right. And it was the Scaramouche from the Minuet and the girls were done very well. The most he struggled with was Suzanne's costume, the length. At one point, it was a very, it was like um, a little bit longer than the tutus from Western Symphony. But the, that's where they struggled in and what it ended up ended up with it was absolutely beautiful it's the length and mostly her fabric and the seeing through i don't know all the fabric but that texture so but i didn't think i didn't feel that we got one fitting and it fit beautiful and he adjusted a few things but it was mostly suzanne when he played a lot with our hair you know and the ringlets and we, we i think we ended up with an s curve so you had this beautiful not thing sticking out, <laughs> like what he said at the back of a car or front of a car, but it had had this wonderful lift going up and the ringlets and the headpiece. You know? And that's when he turned to me because I have a high uh, receding forehead. And you know, he goes, oh, we have to take pencil and color in. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had to learn how to do that. So. Can't be bald. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> but but again, it's back to all those little tiny details. What are y'all's memories from the premiere performance, Amy? What were your memories from the first performance? I remember being just being so excited and so nervous, obviously, but I think more excited than anything. And I remember at the end of the performance, I went to go you know, at the stage door to come into the theater to go find my parents. Um, and I remember, who was, some, I don't know, it was like a whole big deal and, and Misha was there. So Barishnikov was on the other side. He was coming out from, from seating, from the seating area. And, and who was with, Charlie. Do you remember Charlie? From oh, Sydney? from the coffee shop? Yes, Charlie. <laughs> How, so, yeah. so Charlie is there, and Charlie's like says to says to Barishnikov, to Misha says, "Look, this is the this is one of the little girls," and and he said and he said to me, "Great." He complimented me and saying he was like, "You did a beautiful job, great job," because he always remembered seeing us around. We would always take Robert Denver's with him, like you know, he mm -hmm. would see a lot of us little kids around, and. That was like a big thing for me. I was like, oh my God. And I, you know, people were like acknowledging me and they were like, that was amazing. You know, it was, it was just so exciting. As a kid, it was like amazing. Yeah. It was an incredibly rare feeling, even for the minuet and the company dancers with, with uh, how do I say this? With a lot of ballets with the history of City Ballet, if you were to get into Serenade, it had existed from the 30s and the 40s. And those people lived in it till they retired. So when you got in it, you already knew it because you watched it in the wings and they you would never get a rehearsal. You'd be told down the practice room, you go here and there, but then you followed Susie Friedman or you went over there. But Mozartiana, this one was a creation that happened so quickly during so many ballets being created or made. He always didn't like the word created. 
because God creates, he assembled, but so many valleys were being made at the same time for this festival. So it will had a higher frequency of not nerves, but excitement. Like a few times in the minuet and the finale, we kept messing up the counts and coming into Zoom at the end of, not the finale, but from the minuet coming in on the Gig solo. Sometimes we came in eight counts too soon and his solo wasn't finished. So there was this mm, antsy but excitement for it. You know, it was, there was a lot of vibrations going on. <laughs> Just, and like Amy said, you couldn't bump into anything with those two. So it was high alert, but it was, it was exciting. And Suzanne hurt her foot during that performance. So when that curtain came down and she had to dance later, we knew right away the rumor started that it was going to have to be replaced. And it took us, I think, a year before we do it, did it again. It came back, the, but it was a very long time. So I think at that point when that curtain came, you felt great about it, but you also knew the reality that Suzanne's foot was hurt. But before that evening was over, there was a new schedule because she had to re be replaced in other ballets. The whole two weeks was shifting with programs in a matter of seconds when we knew her foot was bad. So it was, that was a, not a juxtaposition, but that was a weird feeling to go from such a high, and because that importance, that ballet to everybody, to balancing to Suzanne and Eve, to have it end up that way. But another thing that they said was a lot of ballets were created for other festivals that were created, like Pafati, it was created for to close that festival. And it's never been done again and probably will never be done again. But Mozartiana was created to become part of the repertory of New York City Ballet. And many ba great ballets came out of these festivals, but it just took us a year to get back to it again. What did it feel like to come back to it after all of that emotion? Freedom! <laughs> just an absolute release because you did have a year to think about it and remember you know but yeah when it did come back you know it was yeah it was uh, you it's got going back home again it's just part of your heart can't got, was able to beat again into that sensation you know something you were a part of really special and Amy, did you all like grow out of it before it came back or did the same girls get to go back and keep dancing it? No, we, we got to go back, which was, which was great. We got to do it again for one more season. Yeah. And I, I just, I remember the biggest thing I remember is them changing her, her costume. Mm -hmm. Like one of the big things, because I remember the, the small, it was so much smaller. That is right. That's when it happened. It didn't open for the gala. She went in that in the shorter one. It was. You're absolutely right. Isn't that something? That is incredible. Then, yeah, because I, I remember like me and the and all my other, you know, the other three, our mm -hmm. crew, we were like, oh, because we loved the new one. The new one was just beautiful, yeah. like you were saying. I remember that. <laughs> Amy, this is something that would I guess been very poignant for you little girls, but like 
it's like being a boy soprano. It's like y'all grew out of your roles. What did it, did the ballet keep going? And then like, what did that feel like as a student to watch other little girls do that part? And yeah, what was the emotion of that? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was a little hard <laughs> for sure because, but you know, I was happy for the new kids that got to do it because it's, I, I knew what it felt like to do it and what an honor it was to be in it and be a part of it. But we were so fortunate because we were taught by the master himself. So that's something that no one will ever experience. We were so lucky to be able to have been a part of it. Yeah. It was amazing. Do you both continue to get goosebumps? I am constantly getting goosebumps yep. all over. Jerry, <laughs> as the ballet stayed in the rep and you continued to dance that minuet, how did, how did you feel that you found your way more and more in the minuet? And what did it feel like to dance that particular piece after Mr. B passed? That's a very interesting question, Silas. It's something, uh, how do I say this? You dance, and he would expect that of you, out of you. You dance it exactly the same as if he was alive or gone. You dance it from your heart. You dance full, and you always strive to do what it, to become the music and to do it full and with energy and clarity and together. It, it's no different being done whether he's on this earth or up in heaven you're still dancing to your fullest. You're still bending. You're still not saving. You're still making the music be seen through you. It, it didn't change. Yes, there must have been a little emotional. I wish he was back, but you don't dance it any different. If anything, you're dancing it better than what you did for him when it first went because you're still working. Did I cross enough? Did I bend enough? Did I jump enough? Is there more? So he still lives on. You can still hear his voice and you know what he'd say, more dear, what are you saving for? So you keep going more and more, you know? So, but don't you, you do that for any choreographer. You know, you do the best you can every time, whether it be Robbins, it doesn't matter, Alonzo King, you, you're an instrument, you are the vessel to carry their vision to the world. You know, that's our purpose, I believe, put on this earth. The same as Balanchine you know, always said, I would, used to go visit him in the hospital after he fell. It was the last time he went to D.C. and he fell. And this is another funny connection of the thread. I get a call that morning. We were in, at the Kennedy Center and I get a call from Barbara Horgan and said, Jerry, um, Balanchine fell and he hurt his hip and he's at the hospital. Okay, and don't worry, it's all right, but I need you to do a favor. I need you to go to Watergate Bakery and get some jelly donuts. And I was, what? You knew about this? You knew this little thing Balanchine and I had with the jelly donuts? And she goes, well, you just go pick up a dozen cherry jelly donuts and meet us at, meet me at the hotel. And he, she called Susie Friedman. Renee stopped on a Kathy Morris, me, and there was five of us. Um, I can't, oh, God. And we all went to his hospital room and sat on his bed, all his five women. And he's got his box of jelly donuts. So he's talking to us, and then he's eating a cherry jelly donut. 
and he drooped some on his hospital gown. So the nurse comes in and she freaks out because she thought it was blood. And we're like, no, it's a jelly donut. We're just visiting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. I love what you've just talked about, Jerry, too, because it's like the ballets and the people who've committed themselves to them. It's like Balanchine's living memorial. It's mm -hmm. like the ballets live on, his ideas live on, the school goes on, the company goes on, the ballets are a gift to the whole world. They danced yeah. all. I mean, we were in Paris and the little girls from one of the schools in Paris joined us to do Mozartiana with the company. And, and, and all these other companies now have these ballets in their rep and and, and could you just share with us a little bit about how you came to be a repetitor for the Balanchine Trust and continue this living legacy of Balanchine through staging yeah. his ballot? God, oh, it was after I injured my knees and after my second set of surgeries on both knees and Dr. Hamilton said, you'll never dance again and or that you could have re knee replacement. And I said, no that's not possible. You know, I went away and healed. And after a year of therapy and getting my legs back under me, I started to kind of go crazy not to be involved with dance. So I called Barbara Horgan. We stayed in touch when I was in town and stuff. So I said, I'm really going crazy and I need to get back somehow. And she goes, Jerry, and I was living in Spain because I was, I went there was with a guy that I was seeing at that point he was Spanish so I talked to Barbara and she goes my god Jerry Vicky Simons is coming to Madrid to stage theme and variations in four T's I'm going to call Ray Barra and I'm going to let you learn under Vicky Simons how to stage a Balanchine ballet and to do scheduling so she called up Ray and about a month later I met her in Madrid and I followed her again I followed somebody and I learned the whole ballet, both ballets. I know, knew most of Fortis and I knew theme, core and stuff. So, but I learned how she would break a ballet up, how she did the schedule and how she put this brilliant puzzle together and then how you rehearsed. And I think we did it for about four weeks and I learned it and they fell in love with me and offered me a job to be a repetiteur on staff with Ballet Lyrico Nacional in Madrid. So they applied for papers for me. And that year that I moved there, we staged Serenade and I took care of theme variations and Fortis. So they were gonna keep me there, but it was the year when the stock market dropped in 88 or 89, really bad time. And the day we decided that we needed to come back to America, my papers to work in Madrid came through. So I came back to America and then I got a job with, at PNB, Pacific Northwest Ballet with Stoll, with Francia Russell. So I learned a lot of stuff with Francia with staging and I had a lot of opportunities. So it just, and Barbara would call me like Barbara Riggins, Chris's mom down in Florida wanted Tarantella and Chaipaw. So I would just start staging all over little things when she needed something. But it, what was different, I wanted a home base. I always liked to have a company that I was a home base. So when I was free, I would let them know what weeks I could, or if they were stuck in a situation and there was nobody else to do it or free, they'd call me up. One day they called me up and I was with Richmond Ballet and said, is there any way... Stoner Winslet, can we have Jerry for two weeks? 
And Stoner goes, absolutely, she'll always work. And they wanted to, they sent me to Perm, Russia to do Tarantella and Tchaikovsky Potadur in a matter of a month. And it was so hard because I had to get my papers to get over there and all that stuff. But that's how our relationship has been. And they called me just a while ago to do Serenade up in Pittsburgh for Point Park University. So it's just, I can, I can have both worlds a base with Richmond Ballet. And then I can also go out and stage Balanchine and Stoner Winslet is amazing. And she allows me to also stage Salvatore Aiello's works that I inherited. So I have the most incredible life <laughs> ever to be able to dance, work with the company and to stage both Balanchine and Aiello works all over the world. I just love it. So. Yeah, that thread keeps going. It just keeps going. That that is incredible. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Just, I think it's just a very important. I'm a great believer in the universe and your journey and trusting. You know, and if you put yourself totally into a dream that you have or something that you don't even dream that you get on a path and it agrees with you, you go for it because it will take you on such a ride. And I think you have to trust. And also another thing with me, and I really think it comes from when they threw me in that advanced class and I knew nothing. And they said, just follow. And my whole life is what's in front of me. Whatever is happening is in front of me. I don't look back. I keep going forward. And then you learn and you see something and you take that on because your path just the, your journey just took you there for a reason. I really believe everything happens for a reason. Well, and Jerry, when I was a little boy growing up in Charlotte, you taught us Salvatore Aiello's Nutcracker. And then when Alonzo King came and choreographed, you coached us in Alonzo's choreography. And it's, it's so sweet to be reconnected with you because your spirit was always so huge. Oh and your demonstration of every gesture was always so exquisite. And you taught us Balanchine and you, you, you took care of every ballet that you were responsible for, responsible for with such pride and with such grace. And I, I know every, all the different people who've worked with you, Richmond or Charlotte or Chautauqua, like we're blessed to have gotten to learn from you. And what it's amazing. Oh, but Silas, you don't know. It goes back, you do know, it goes back. It goes both ways. We're mirrors, T and Adger. If you feel that energy from me, I'm getting it from you. So we're all mirrors, give and take. And if, if I'm giving, you're receiving, you're giving it right back to me. So everything you have felt from me, I felt from you. And any dancer who stands in front of me and receives and has comes to life with the work, it's coming right back to me. So we're both vessels. We're just touched, but that's, you're absolutely right. And that's beautiful. And that means so much. So oh, well. I have to, I also have to add Jerry, like when I just remember us, you know, all the four little girls and all the adults were so amazing with us. Mm -hmm. And I remember you so nice and so kind to us and rooting us on like, you guys it was just it was such a nice atmosphere to be in I just mm -hmm. remember it being you know and you can as a kid you go in and can feel intimidated or scared but it was like the minute we walked in it was like just a wonderful feeling I just always remember that ah uh, embrace 
we're all in it together. We're all family. We're all have the same need to breathe oxygen is to dance. It's the same blood's going through us. Isn't it an amazing process? So. And, and Amy, your, your ballet path continued on beyond the School of American Ballet to one of the great historic ballet companies in, in, in Denmark. Could you talk to us about your journey after Mozartiana? Yeah, so I stayed at the school at SAB and I continued all the way up through, um, did workshops. Um, I you know, did all that stuff. I did first temperament in, in Fortis. I got to do that. And then um, I was chosen to be in, in Jubilee, which was Joseph Duell's the ballet that he choreographed. So wow. we, we, yeah, that was my last year in the school and we got to perform that with New York City Ballet. So that, so it, for me, I hadn't been on City Ballet stage since I was a kid. So for me to go back in my last year of SAB to perform Jubilee and especially like for him, you know, it was just, it would, that was also so incredible. Oh my God. So I got to do that. And then Frank Anderson came to SAB and saw me in class. He was the, you know, at the time director of Royal Danish Ballet. And they offered me, they, they asked me to come for the summer course um, and that they wanted to offer me a contract. So I went for the summer course. It was a, they, it was the first time they were doing, it was called Bourneville Academy type of thing. And there were people from all over. And if you can imagine, it was like, it was learning Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, learning all the days of the week, the, the Bourneville class. And the big studio there in, in the, the theater there are no mirror. There were no mirrors at the time, so it made it even more difficult. Because and doing those classes, I don't know if you, if either one of I'm, I'm sure you have, Jerry, but have you ever done them? They're so hard, and they're on demi. Oh my! And doing God. all these weird arms and strange feet and coupe turns and 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 you're on demi point. I wasn't used to being on demi point. I was falling all over the place. So used to doing everything on point. And then so, and I got in the company and it just, it was like relearning so much. It was like unbelievable. And so Jerry, you will appreciate this story. So in my second year in the company, I got chosen, um, Henning Kronstrom was staging Apollo. Mm -hmm. And it was the original version that Balanchine gifted to Royal Danish Ballet. So I don't, have you ever seen it? No, just on video, just the video of the original version with the stairs and everything. Yes, so the stairs and everything. And there are two handmaidens mm -hmm. who help bring, so th there's the, the mother, Apollo's birth happens and she's up on this big thing and her legs are like that. And, and he comes out and he's, we had to pre-wrap, we had to wrap him in these wraps. So he's completely wrapped up. And I was one of the handmaidens, there's only two. And we come out doing grand chutes. That's how right before the birth happens, we have two spotlights on us from either corner. And we're doing grand jetés coming out from either side. I come out and my other friend came out.
appears, he pops in. So it was Nikolai, Nikolai was, was Apollo. And then who, who comes to guest to do Apollo? Imagine, Eve Anderson. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Um, wrapping Eve Anderson, his entire body. Can you even imagine this? Talk about a circle of craziness. There you go. And, and it's so hard because I had the hard part where you have to take him like you're sideways and you have to take him in and I'm on my knees. I have oh. to take him like kneeling. I have to take his whole body weight into my arms and, and, and hug him like rock him like this, like a baby almost. Mm -hmm. so, and he can't move. He's completely like this, like mummified, wrapped. So if you can imagine he, while I'm wrapping him, he's like, what is that? You know, like it was just, it was so bizarre. And I, I'm sitting there, I'm like, do you remember me? I was in Mozartiana. <laughs> and he, and Nicol, Nikolai had it, Nikolai was so good. Like he, I was like, Nikolai, don't, I'm like, Nick, don't move. So he, but he was squirming all over the place. I was like, like, he, I think he was, he didn't, he, you know, he didn't, maybe he didn't trust me. I don't know what, but. I'm like, please stay still. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna drop you. <laughs> but just, I'm sitting there, like, I can't even believe I am on the Royal Danish Ballet stage with Eve Anderson, who I idolized as a little kid. It was just mind blowing. I too idolized him. I think Eve, he'll, you'll have to ask him, Silent. I think he was being a newborn baby, baby and squirming for you. Because he did everything so real and so honest. <laughs> yep, probably. <laughs> I remember the day that he came in London to take company class to audition for the company. He was an absolute breath of fresh air. I've never seen anybody, an aura around a human being that danced with every kind of cell in his body. And, and he would look at you with his whole being and soul and dance with you. I'd never seen it. It's just gorgeous. I just love that man. I love, I would run downstairs if I had a ballet off to watch him dance. Eve had an energy and aura about him that was phenomenal. Oh my goodness gracious. That is so wild. See those threads? Oh my God. Just love I know. It. And, and it's, it's, it's just, it's endless. The, the connections are just so rich and that Balanchine had been a ballet master at the Royal Danish Ballet in the 30s and had staged Apollo there in the 30s. And the original Danish Apollo was Peter Martin's uncle, Lip Arm. It's like, it's like what? And then Eve comes over as like the, like the third or fourth wave of Danish men that Balanchine mm -hmm. imports, Eric Brun and Peter Martins and Adam Luters and Peter Schaffes. And we, we had Peter Schaffes on this podcast talking oh. with Patty McBride about um, Steadfast Tin Soldier and Hans oh. Christian Andersen in Denmark and Balanchine. It's just so rich. It's so oh. rich. And that's, that's how I, I first started. I first started dancing because I saw the red shoes. Oh. And so when, yeah. So when I went, so it, for me, it was like, that's how it all started. And, and I went to Hans Christian Andersen's house in, in Denmark on the island. And I have a I have an amazing poster that I got there. It's this amazing poster of the red shoes, but it's like the original kind of thing. And it's in my office. And it's just so funny how I, how I wound up there. Oh, more there, goosebumps, there, more goosebumps. 
<laughs> Are there any any final reflections from the two of you about your time with Balanchine or your memories from Mozartiana that you've carried with you or that you would want to impart to the listeners as we close? I'm looking at my notes to see what I thought because when this came through, this email about this, this is going back 41 years. I mean, all the memories that came up and then going back through Bobby's book, which we have to say Robert Mariano's book, how he captured the inside of the making of this masterpiece. His sensitivity when he came into the rooms, you didn't know he was there. He was like a little angel floating and he was sensitive and he would never interrupt anything. And it was never about him. It was about capturing what was happening before all of our eyes. I don't, Amy, do you remember seeing him? He would just float in and you just didn't know he was there. Yeah, I, I agree. You didn't know he was there. I do, I do remember meeting him and knowing who he was, but I had no idea he was writing a book. Like yeah. I was, I was shocked when I first saw it. I did. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Like I, he was very quiet. You never, you never made a peep. You never heard him. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Beautiful human being, very deep, very private, very quiet, very rich. We used to take, sometimes I always took on the bar next to the piano on where the glass was and Bobby would be always close to me or around me a lot, but a beautiful human being. He did a, Great job, beautiful. So thank you, Bobby. Amy, are there any other final things you would want to share in part? Yeah, I mean, it's like like what you said, it's being a part of that ballet was, is, was such an important part of my life because it also helped build my confidence and to have someone like that, an icon who we all worshiped as, as kids, like to have, Balanchine, like you said, entrust us to be in his ballet was just such an amazing feeling and confidence boosting and just to be a part of it was just so special. Mm -hmm. Do you, did you ever hear um, or read in books and stuff, which was true with Balanchine, he always felt that he was an angel that he was brought down here to choreograph and he had a mission to do and once he was finished he would go back home and he was a cloud in pants and very famous and I don't know where it come from a play but he really felt that he was brought here to do and I think that's what we also were it's you're giving gifts and you thank god we figured them out and we followed them but a word, one of my most favorite words, I think just captures what we all experience with you and Amy, what we kept experience with Mozartiana, with the angel, with him coming down and loving Tchaikovsky so much, his most favorite and Stravinsky, but it, it's ineffable. What happened to us, it was an experience that was ineffable. It was a most sacred thing to be part of it and with the whole experience that he made and assembled for a gift to Tchaikovsky or to Mo Mozart with Tchaikovsky, one of his greatest loves, you know, that I think that whole word that I love ineffable wraps it all up beautifully. Thank God for sending Balanchine to this world to give us all this beauty that we are still ticking from in the heart and living through, you know, and passing on and experiencing. 
Jerry Kumri, Amy Fixler Koberger, y'all have given us so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. To learn more about Balanchine, Tchaikovsky, and Mozartiana, please consult the reading list that can be found in the notes for this podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll join me again to hear the dance.